What's up, Natalie? How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jesse. Good, great. So uh, a lot of different activities are happening for people who are visually impaired around the nation, uh, such as like recently the NFB Texas convention that's happening right now. And so Natalie over here is a uh, professor and she helps people in the special education field. And she has a lot of experience. In fact, she has been recognized multiple times for her work. So um, actually I met Natalie from participating in the NFBEQ program uh, over the summer. And I thought that program was really intriguing. So that's why I joined. So I was wondering um, if, is uh, what is NFBEQ for our listeners specifically? Yeah, Jesse. So certainly you know, but for your listeners, NFBEQ is a week-long summer engineering program for blind and low vision high school students around the country. Um, and it is a program that's part of a grant sponsored by the National Science Foundation. And in, at NFBEQ, um, we have 30 blind and low vision high school students and they engage in what's called a project-based curriculum. And in that project-based curriculum, the students are working on um, developing a place of their own. So they're answering the question, if you had a place that was just yours and you could do whatever you want, what would you do in that place? And what kind of a place would it be like? You know, how, how, uh, what would need to be in that space in order for you to do what you wanna do? And then throughout the week, the students um, design that space according to their own specifications, but also meeting criteria and constraints, which are an engineering term, um, that the instructors provide. And then after they kind of come up with the design, the students are then tasked with communicating that design to other people. So they have to create technical drawings, which includes a floor plan, a front elevation, and a side elevation. Um, they also have to create a scale model of their building um, using the scale um, one foot equals one inch. And they create that scale model out of balsa wood and a number of different adhesives. And then because it's an engineering program, they also have to do a whole bunch of math to make sure that this building that they're designing would um, be structurally sound, specifically that it would um, up, uh, you know, be able to stand up to various weather conditions, um, including weather conditions as um, severe as those you find in Alaska. So the students do a bunch of math and then have that math available so they can explain to people who come at the end of the week to check out all the projects, um, how they know that their building isn't gonna fall, um, fall down if there's a foot of snow on the roof. Yeah, you explained it really well there. And from a student's perspective, I would ensure everybody who wants to join, it's like a really great program because all the people that help you, like teach you with all the math and, you know, using the tools to create your, um, that space that you want to create, they're all really helpful and all the instruction has been really um, well thought out in advance and very clear in fact. I was wondering, is this like specifically an engineering program? Like, does it dabble in other areas too? Oh, sure. So, I mean, certainly the the, the focus um, of the curriculum is engineering, but there's, you know, you can't, um, you can't do engineering without doing a lot of other things, right? So, <laughs> yeah. um, in the program, um, especially as an applied science, right? So, 
in the program that students learn all kinds of things that support the work in engineering. So for example, um, depending on the, the prior knowledge that students come in with, they, they learn a lot of math at the program. Now, some students already know the pure math that we use in the program, um, and what they're learning is how to apply that mathematics. Other students come in and they haven't had a chance to learn that mathematics, so they learn the mathematics. Um, some students come in not having yet had the opportunity to learn how to draw. Um, well, in order to create a technical drawing, you first have to know how to draw. So for the students who haven't yet had the opportunity to learn how to draw, they first learn how to draw, um, learn how to draw in like an artistic fashion, and then apply those skills um, to the specific task of creating floor plans and such like that. So that's a couple of examples. Um, there's also, you know, throughout the program, um, you know, we're, we're working to show blind students that um, whatever career they might want to pursue, whether that's a STEM career or something not related to STEM, that they can do that as a blind person and how they might be able to do that and who they might be able to reach out to to get even more information, especially if the career that they're interested in isn't one we're explicitly talking about that week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I would credit you guys for helping me open my eyes uh, when I was participating in the NFBEQ, like from just working with the floor plans and everything and even uh, building those models, like it really opened my eyes to the possibility of now I'm currently like studying architecture now. So it really opened a lot of eyes, I, I think, and from talking to a lot of people. And to switch gears a little bit, I want to talk about cooking. Um, I heard that's one interest of yours. And do you have certain like devices that help you, you know, cook or do you just do it because you're awesome like that? <laughs> so I do love to cook. Um, I thought it was interesting that that was something we were going to talk about. Um, I, I do love to cook. And actually earlier today, I was making a, <laughs> making the meal plan for the next couple of weeks here at my house. Um, so certain um, devices that I use. Well, not really, honestly. Um, now, not anything that is out of the ordinary. So, I mean, I use all the same kind of apparatus, you know, that anybody sure. else would use. Now, some things that are, I might use some of those things a little bit differently, though. Um, mm -hmm. And I might add things to some of the um, some of the tools that I use. So, for example, my, um, well, not my, well, yes, that is true. On my oven, for example, my, my uh, stove and range is the same appliance. So the, the front of the stove where you turn the burners on, so I have a gas stove. And um, when I went to buy my stove, so I own my house and uh, recently replaced the appliances. When I went to buy my stove, one thing that was really important to me is that the, the knobs, for the, the stove, the way you turned it on was knobs and it wasn't like a push button situation. Mm -hmm. um, so, and that was important to me because if it's a knob, then, you know, I don't need to add anything to the stove to be able to work it. I can just turn the knob and I can tell from the position of the knob what, you know, what kind of temperature the flame is on. Um, so that was important to me. Unfortunately, it's really hard to find a, a non-professional grade. So like a, just a home style stove and oven that also has knobs for the oven these days and isn't like um, the very base model. Um, so the oven in order to operate it is like a touch button situation. Um, so what I've done is add 
um, braille and tactile markers to that. So I know which buttons are what. Uh, um, but otherwise, <clears throat> like my stove and oven and stuff like that is just, you know, your regular old stove and oven. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of other things. So I do, um, you know, when I cook, I use my sense of touch a lot. Um, I use my sense of smell a lot. Um, and mm. I use my sense of hearing a lot. Okay. And so, so do sighted cooks, right? Yeah. Um, but I use those senses um, to, you know, um, uh, replace or whatever what I what I don't see visually when I cook. So let's let's think of an example. Um, so I um, when you uh, this is a trick I actually just recently learned and I actually learned it from a sighted baker. But there you go. I don't bake a lot. I'm more of a cook. But um, I'm going to try this the next time I bake. So um, when you bake um, a cake, there is a certain um, the certain kind of cake. I can't even remember what it was. I was re reading a recipe the other day. Um, that you, you can actually hear when you take the cake immediately out of the oven, if you listen carefully, you can hear a, um, a certain um, kind of crackling sound and that sound tells you, you know, whether the, the cake is baked well enough. And the same thing happens when you bake um, certain kinds of bread. So I do bake bread, though I haven't in a while, um, somewhat regularly. And, and the kind of bread that I often bake has a, a very firm crust. And so if you've done it right, you get a certain crackling noise when it comes out of the oven. Um, so that's an instance. Um, another instance where I use my sense of hearing is when I'm, you know, sauteing or frying anything. Um, you know, so if you put, if you've got oil in your, in your pan and you're gonna, you're gonna like pan fry something. So like I, like an example of this would be, I made, um, falafels, uh, last week. Okay. So falafels, a Middle Eastern dish and I pan fried the falafel. And when you, when you go to drop the falafel in the, in the little bit of oil that you have in the bottom of the pan, um, if it doesn't sizzle immediately, your, your oil is not hot enough and you're going to get a really greasy um, little fritter. So you don't want that. So that's an example of how you use hearing. Um, I use my sense of touch regularly. So one um, example of how I use my sense of touch. So I, I don't cook a lot of steak. I, I, we're pretty plant-based in my house. We do eat meat, but uh, not so frequently. But I do enjoy steak every once in a while. And when I cook a steak, how am I going to know as a blind person if it's cooked the way I like it? Well, there's a couple of different ways, right? So like sighted mm -hmm. folks usually at home, they might cut into the steak and just see, you know, is it the color that they want? Um, <clears throat> so I can use um, a thermometer that, that talks or is connected to my iPhone. So that would be one option that is, doesn't tend to be the option I use, but it would, it, that would totally work. Um, what I use though is my sense of touch. And this is actually the same technique that chefs use um, in a professional kitchen, because if you're in a fancy restaurant, right? And you're a chef and you're making somebody's, you know, $50 steak, you can't cut into their steak to see if it's cooked correctly. They would be very upset if, if they got their steak and it was already cut into, right? So the way that a chef does this and the way that I do it, I actually learned this from a chef, is by my sense of touch. So the, when you go to poke your steak with your finger, and of course it's my own steak, so don't worry about touching it with my bare finger. Mm -hmm. When you go to touch your cooked steak with your finger, the firmer it is when you kind of like push on it just a little bit, the more done it is. Okay. And so if you know how you like your steak done and how kind of firm it should be when you touch it, then you know if it's done or not. If it's squishier than you usually like it, then you know, then you want to keep cooking. If you like a well done steak and you go to to poke your steak with your finger, you can also do it with a utensil, but I mean, if I'm cooking my own food, I usually just use my finger. Um, you know, if you go to poke it and it's super squishy, then that's not a well done steak. You know, and yeah. if you go to poke the steak and it's not squishy at all and you like a rare steak, well, if it's very firm, then <laughs> then you've overcooked your steak. And unfortunately, there's nothing you could kind of do about that. 
Um, but so that's that's one example. Um, another example is um, so um, of something that you know is maybe a little bit more likely that a, a college student might cook it. So when you cook grilled cheese, for example, so I, I enjoy grilled cheese every once in a while. Um, one of the ways that I can know if the um, if the bread has gotten you know kind of brown enough the way I like it um, is when I go to put the spatula underneath of the first side you know so you cook the first side of the bread then you flip it over so before I flip the the sandwich over when I put that spatula under underneath the bread between the bread and the pan um, I will hear like hear and actually feel through the um, handle of the spatula if I've got the right spatula um, a, a kind of a scraping sound okay um, and that like scraping sound tells me um, if it's a lot like a lot of scraping and I'm smelling burning that I've overcooked <laughs> my grilled cheese if it's a you know a, a kind of a moderate scraping sound and I don't smell any burning that I probably got it just just perfect um, yeah. and I can flip the and I can flip the sandwich so that's that's um that, those are some examples that I think of offhand. The other, you know, sense that is really important, whether you're blind or sighted cook, is your sense of taste, right? So, you know, oh, any yeah. chef will tell you when you're cooking, you should be tasting your food as you go, because that's the only way that you can know if it's properly seasoned. So, um, so I taste my food a lot as I go. Um, so yeah, but no, I, I love to cook. It's, it's great fun. I encourage um, uh, anyone who has the time and inclination to, to spend time learning how to cook, because it's uh, even if you don't do anything fancy, it just saves a whole bunch of money and it's a lot healthier if you cook your own food. Yeah, like I really want to get uh, into cooking too. And I remember when I burned my grilled cheese, it, it was uh, it was definitely burned <laughs> from my sense of smell. And uh, now for the final thing that I really want to talk about is uh, your um, how you're involved in the special education field. And I was really wondering, like, what are some uh, things that you have found to be like really effective for helping uh, these special educational uh, special ed kids? So let's see. Let me ask you a clarifying question, Jesse. So when I so right now I'm a professor, so I teach future teachers, so people who are gonna teach special education. So you might be asking me about that, or you might be asking me about when I taught in K twelve and was working with like disabled students in K-12. So um, help me understand, which, which thing are you asking me about, just so I make sure I answer correctly? Ooh, I really want to uh, look into when you teach other uh, teachers that ah, would, yes. Got it. Okay, cool. So yeah, um, one, it's a whole lot of fun to train future teachers, at least I think so. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things that I have found to be really helpful in teaching future teachers of disabled kids, whether they're special ed teachers or teachers of the blind or teachers of the deaf or whatever it may be, um, is that, so first of all, most of the, most of my students, um, and this is true across the country, this is not specific to my particular university, mm -hmm. um, most people who are gonna become teachers are able people, you know, they, um, they don't have any disabilities. And so one of the really important things in teaching them how to be, um, teachers who will respect um, disabled students and treat them with dignity um, and the way that they would treat, you know, able-bodied students is to give those um, abled students an opportunity to um, learn from disabled people, okay? So mm -hmm. in a college classroom, you know, if I could fly my class of 25 students around the country with me, we could meet so many different disabled people and that would be so valuable. But 
Um, we can't, you know, we, we can't do that for uh, financial and pragmatic reasons, even when we don't have a pandemic, right? So yeah. since I can't take my students all over the country to meet all of those people that I know all over the country that have various disabilities, instead what I do is I try to bring those people's voices um, and ideas into our classroom. So um, we have guest speakers all of the time who come in and share their, their experience with disability. And my students um, read and watch videos and listen to podcasts. Um, that are written by or otherwise created by disabled people, because one of the things that I think is really important for future teachers who are going to be working with disabled kids to know is that um, it is to have that opportunity to, to get to know many disabled people and realize that not only um, can um, uh, these future teachers teach disabled folks, but they, they too can learn from disabled people. So disabled mm -hmm. people aren't just students, they are also teachers. Um, and that is a really important thing um, for future teachers to, to learn. So that's something that has been very, um, I have found to be very valuable and the students enjoy it as well. Um, so they, they read even, I mean, some of the times in my classes on their list of reading for the week, it might be to read a Twitter thread or to, you know, listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video via, you know, a YouTuber who's deaf or something like that. Um, so yeah, so those are, that's one thing that I do that I'm, that I found really is helpful for the students as they're developing. Yeah, like for sure. Um, just looking through, uh, a certain thing for like, another lens or another perspective uh, from the person, you, you really see what their thought process is and then you can learn a lot. And um, yeah, a lot of uh, people, like the teachers that have, you know, helped me in the special educational field have been really awesome and clearly have been, you know, really well ta uh, taught as to how to like, uh, interact with people with uh, disabilities and I was also wondering uh, really quick what is your interaction with you know specifically with uh, with students with uh, disabilities um like, so to you mean like today what what interactions do I have yeah like just how how would you how did you help them like uh, you know what techniques have you found to be really effective, you know, helping them. Oh, working with the kids themselves. Correct. Um, hmm, that is hard, Jesse. Um, I would say that teaching, so I'm going to not answer your question and then answer your question. Okay. <laughs> so I would say that teaching is a very complicated thing to do. And a lot of times people don't, who don't teach for a living, don't realize how complicated it is because it looks easy when you're observing it. Uh, but in reality, it's really complicated. So I would say that things that have helped me um, be effective as a teacher of disabled students is um, being a very keen observer. Um, so many of the disabled students that I have worked with in my teaching career um, don't, don't communicate using speech the way that you and I do. Um, and mm -hmm. might not yet have had the opportunity to develop other ways of communicating through like augmentative and alternative communication or sign language or something like that. So their way of communicating is just using their body or using um, vocalizations that aren't necessarily speech. And so that means that, that um, it was really important for me to be a keen observer of the students to make sure that I was able to understand what they were trying to tell me 
um, and not just relying on their vocalizations to figure out what they were trying to tell me, but observing their whole um, their whole selves and the way they were interacting with the world. So that was really important. Um, I think the other thing that is important um, that has been helpful to me as a teacher is to remember that as a teacher, it's not just my job to teach, it's also my job to learn. Um, mm -hmm. And that I can learn from lots of people. Um, I can learn from children. Children teach me things all of the time. Um, and, and being open to that learning is really important. Um, and that, this, these things sound like very vague things. Um, they're kind of philosophical a little bit, but they're really important because if you have that mindset as a teacher that, you know, you're just there to teach children, you're there to learn from children, and they can teach you lots of um, really valuable and important things that adults can't teach you. Um, that gives you just a different kind of perspective on what does it mean to be a teacher. Um, and, and it helps you to engage with children in a way that is, you know, that is respectful and, um, and, and just shows, uh, treats the children with, with dignity rather than the children as just, you know, people who are just supposed to do what you say. Um, so that's yeah, my kind of way of teaching, I guess, is a little bit non-traditional in, in that sense. Mm -hmm. So to wrap this all up, I would say, you know, I heard it saying something like how to keep your mind young, you always have to keep on learning, not to stay mm -hmm. complacent. And uh, that would be like my takeaway from, you know, doing this podcast, keep on learning, never stay satisfied because the world has so many things that you can't possibly be say, uh, be like, I know everything. So with that, uh, thank you, Natalie, for being on my podcast today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, absolutely, Jesse. Well, thanks so much for, um, for inviting me. And um, I hope that your listeners, if they have an interest in um, the STEM programs the National Federation of the Blind is doing, that they reach out to us. They can um, check us out at nfb.org, or they can email stem at nfb.org. And if anybody wants to be a special ed teacher, I hope you'll, you'll uh, reach out to me at Illinois State University so that we can uh, maybe bring you on board to be a student at our university. Yep. Thanks so much, Jesse. Have a great day. Thank you. That's a wrap.